1: Big hi to you folks, glad you're with us today as we return to the air on your Wednesday edition of Kelly and Rum. Yeah, I'm in the corner behind me on the left. Oh, there's a bookshelf back there. All sorts of stuff hanging down, lights uh, from the ceiling, and you, of course, in here. Rum is at the studio in Toronto. Happy day to you.
2: Hello, happy day to you. Happy midweek. Is QR it finally, codes. or, yeah.
1: Mm. Yeah, midweek, for sure. Uh, QR codes. How are you managing with those things, when and if you have to use them? I don't use them.
2: I think, like, when uh, I sit down at a restaurant and they say, here, just QR code, and I'm like, yeah, okay. But usually this is not even a norm for me yet. I feel is like it is for a lot thing? of people. Uh, the other day I t- At restaurants? I think so. Uh, the other day I typed in scan on um, the iPhone, like under Spotlight, just to search for a scan app to see if I have a PDF scanner, and I realized that there's now an app for just code scanning. QR code scanning—I didn't even know that was a thing.
1: (laughs) Yeah, it's interesting because I know with some of the security things, like for the company here, you go in and you can you can QR code um, just so that knows okay you're legit with your computer if you choose to use that. But certainly during the pandemic, it became that thing for the no touch. Get on your own phone, do your own thing. We're not giving you a darn menu. Right. That places, that's what I heard a lot of, and the inaccessibility of mainly finding that. Some people, for their televisions, uh, you know, watching sports, they'll say, scan the QR code, which qualifies you for something, or you might get a prize, or, or, or for whatever benefit, ratings, checking out how many people are watching, you know, all that important stuff to us. Mm. But I haven't heard of it being as big of a thing of late due to, and again, in our community, it's a bit of a drag that's chased no. around the screen.
2: Do you think it was a phase and not the way of the world in the future?
1: I think it's going to be the way to some degree, but I think a lot of people had trouble with it uh, and don't like it. And I think it's going to be used. I mean, some people won't have to bother. If you're not interested in scanning a code on your screen to get a prize for a game you're watching or to qualify or something like that, I think great. I think there is benefit, Rum, if you... Your cable company, say, says, hey, scan this, and then you'll be able to receive, I don't know, music or whatever mm. you get, w- access to an app or something like that, that they've got some agreement with. Um, I-, I think that'll be more of the way for now. More of the, I'm sure it'll come back in its own way.
2: As a concept, just that instantaneous, you know, not having to copy-paste something, just That's point right. your camera, yes. and boom, it takes you somewhere. I guess, so, you know, similar to airdrop right like when you airdrop something from person to person you're not copying and pasting you're not sending someone a link that then they have to go into it's just a seamless uh transportation of digital content so i guess that's what it is
1: i like it when you just simply scan with your for your debit yeah over the to me i enliven it if we can make it as easy for us to do that as low vision or blind people uh or just anyone manipulating it Mm. that that might be the way to help out a lot of things Folks, let's take a look, see what we've got coming up on today's edition of the program. Mr. Greg David is going to stop by and highlight some Christmas specials, movies, and musical concerts coming to your screens in a couple of weeks. I have to do that in the movie voice. Coming to your screens in a couple of weeks.
2: Also, a new Google geothermal electricity project, that's a mouthful, could be a milestone Mm. for clean energy, and we're going to learn more about it with Mark Phoenix when he fills in for Billy on the Buzz.
1: On Know Your Rights today, Danielle McLaughlin continues a discussion about what Canada can and can't do for its citizens who travel abroad. We'll talk to her about that as she jumps in, fills in with us here on a Wednesday, since we missed her segment, on Monday here on Kelly and Ramya. So President Brad Smith says he doesn't think... uh, Excuse me, Microsoft President Brad Smith says he doesn't think that artificial intelligence poses an imminent threat to humanity's existence. But governments and businesses still need to move fast to address the technology's risks.
2: Smith says this could be done by implementing what he calls safety brakes. They could act like the emergency mechanisms in elevators and high-speed trains, but they're built into high-risk AI systems that control critical infrastructure like electrical grids, water systems, and traffic. Smith says it's important to get the problems posed by the technology under control so the globe doesn't have to constantly be worried about it. A race to use and innovate with AI has broken out in the tech sector and beyond following the release of chat gpt which counts microsoft as one of its backers michelle zedekian the
1: canadian press so i understand rum and obviously i kind of love the fact that canada is recognized out there as that country that's kind of uh, been a leader at having safeguards mm. and we see this in the banking industry we see this in hydro when whenever there's problems what are the backups maybe it's our size maybe it's for thinking And other places need to follow. And I think that's the credit that Microsoft gives us. But you and I have been talking about this and wondering, especially when we talk health, what are going to be those safeguards?
2: Yeah, I mean, we have to. We have to talk about them because it's not that AI has not been around for so long, but it feels like we need to be able to uh, kind of maneuver the situation, if you will, because it's becoming part of everyday life for everyday people, mm-hmm. right? So, uh, yes, there is the kind of division, I guess, of medical, of professional use, of science, of uh, the technological pros using AI to to clean things up and, and keep going. But then what happens when it becomes, uh, when it, merges the everyday people in our everyday lives to the medical to the technology to the pro and the science so yeah safeguards need to be put in place and i'm not sure what they look like or how quickly we can get to the safeguards before because it's a race right like before everybody just gets a hold of everything already and it becomes dangerous or unsafe or insecure
1: and i know it'll be a lot of Reach out to so-and-so when things get to this critical, not allowing it to make a decision to do something. And that is so important that that person is there on call. Folks, we're going to step aside for a couple of moments. Grant Hardy is going to join us. Why is life expectancy falling in Canada? He's going to discuss it with us on his headline segments next. Thanks for being with us, folks. We're here weekdays from 2 to 4 p.m. Eastern on AMI-TV. Check us out on AMI-audio at 4 p.m. Eastern. Repeats of the program on both networks, AMI-audio and AMI-tv at 10 p.m. Eastern. Always glad to have you on board wherever you're enjoying the program. Maybe you're checking out the podcast. Maybe you're listening in on TuneIn Radio around the world from AMI-audio or one of the other apps that carry AMI-audio. Thanks a lot and a big to you, Kelly McDonald. here at the Home Studio London, Ontario. Ramya, she's over there. Ramya Muthan at Main Campus in Toronto. And Grant Hardy, our uh, reporter, producer, joining us now from Vancouver to talk headlines. Hey, I'm Grant
3: Hardy, and welcome to the Headlines segment. I tackle everything from health and lifestyle to accessibility
1: and tech. I have it all right here on Kelly and Ramya well obviously rum he made it back home okay so there's no sense to say did you make it back home all right <laughs> well i'm here
2: yeah <laughs> it's a different setup so we know you're home
1: yeah hello sir i was i was
3: gonna pause for a second leave a little bit of dead air so that mm. you both kind of be like but did he really make Uh-oh, it home? No. Did we just Uh-oh. think he was on and all? but i won't do that and
2: we have yes fallback things right like you were on the meeting earlier we know <laughs>
1: Hey, that's Make him feel so <laughs> important. Make him feel so important. Yeah, we have fallbacks anyway, even if you aren't there. Oh, well. No, not no Grant. Let's move on to plan number two. Uh,
2: CP clips. No, that's not what I meant. <laughs> all right.
3: Well, yes, made it home in one piece after a really fantastic event, which I know we're all really looking forward to people uh, checking out. We'll hear a lot more about that in the coming weeks. Yeah. For now, we're starting off with a little bit of a more solemn headline, kind of a juxtaposition. Position, is that the word from the uh, exciting uh-huh. week we've just had? Uh, and we're talking about life expectancy in Canada. And it turns out that for the third year in a row, uh, life expectancy has actually declined in Canada, which apparently is a trend that experts consider to be uh, historical, a first time. And that could indicate a worrisome downturn in our overall health. Um, now, the life expectancy has not declined a lot. I mean, it's declined by eighty to eighty-one point three from eighty-one point six years. So that's a lot uh, higher than the life expectancy is with our neighbors in the south. Uh, not that it's a big competition. Um, the primary. Uh, factor related to this, as you guys can imagine, is the COVID-19 pandemic, and especially that's Mm -hmm. really affected uh, older people, seniors, uh, but that's not all. And experts say that there are a lot of deaths uh, among young adults as well, especially deaths that are being investigated by a coroner uh, or medical expert, uh, and they believe that that may be related to the opioid crisis as well. Um, and I've got some of the other big causes of death as well, but just curious if you guys wanted to comment on that definitely seems like a combination of, I mean, COVID, which what can we do? We can't really take that back, but just kind of a reminder that it's not over, even though I really want to desperately just break up with COVID. It Mm. doesn't seem, (laughs) it's just that, that clingy thing that just won't go away, but also on a more serious note, uh, just, um, you know, good, good reminder that we really need some more appropriate drug policy, safe injection protocols, rehabilitation, instead of just kind of like, you know, leaving these people to fend for themselves.
2: Yeah. I mean, they're to think that this is a top cause of death just nationally or around the country or when we're talking about this in general is pretty um, terrifying, I think because we have, like, kind of the more nuanced and specific conversations around the opioid crisis, but, Grant, when we're saying, and, you know, when we're talking about death altogether, this is what comes up that is frightening.
3: Yeah, or at least kind of a top uh, yeah. cause of the trend shifting. But, yes, it's, yeah, it's very worrisome, very worrisome.
1: It's interesting uh, because I wasn't sure, Grant, at first, when we say life expectancy, obviously, okay, how long... Um, but I guess when you would look back, walk it back and, and go from there, I, I guess I was thinking projections down the road as opposed to what we're seeing in the past recent mm. as to the. So I, I was thinking here of the causes and what what might be. And we talk a lot about medical, especially if you go back as you are, as we are to the pandemic to so many emergency rooms closed down, different things like that across the country. Today they launched the new uh, mental health hotline. Just different things that we stop and say, okay, so how come people aren't getting to the point we were before? What is that average? And these are very, very alarming, especially when you think of young people, the opioid crisis, think of older people in nursing homes, and the projection that COVID's not going anywhere. So we are still going to lose people, Um, more people over a certain age not saying everyone's immune from how serious this thing can be but very interesting and i'm kind of curious on some of the other things that you're going to that they've related to this
3: yeah yeah so uh, essentially um the the top causes of death uh still are apparently uh cancer heart disease uh and Accidents, like unint- unintentional injuries around the home, what, whatever uh, those may be, cer- uh, cer- this is the mouthful, cerebrovascular disease or stroke, chronic lower respiratory diseases, diabetes, influenza, and n- pneumonia, Alzheimer's, and chronic liver disease and cirrhosis so those seem like they haven't shifted as much but i guess that the main thing that's just shifted is some of these new things that are bringing it down the expectancy a little bit it's interesting because on the one hand it's kind of like i can kind of see how that could happen but on the other hand it's frustrating that we can't at least Our sort of health research that we always do, it can't, hasn't really tackled those super common health conditions yet.
1: Yeah, Yeah. it's an interesting because you think of a plateau, how far did we get? how well we did you throw in the pandemic and other uh, you know things that change the number but a lot of time it comes back to what we're doing to take care of ourselves post any of these instances or while having diabetes say or or post a heart attack stroke or one of the vascular uh, issues there's a lot that's there and how much care you're getting in the medical field we know a lot of doctors people are gone people don't have doctors so i'm sure all of that has that impact on Lack of guidance and in, in communicating what people may need to do, and it's not just people being stubborn. Oh yeah, he says I shouldn't eat this many steaks. I will. Like it's not, it's not just like that. It's unfortunately sometimes. People aren't given that information. They're here handed a paper and interpret it or, you know, a brochure about this, interpret it. And if some people that, especially in a country as diverse as we are, you may not have that ability to read that. You may not have, um, that, that time. Mm, falling through Yeah. Falling <laughs> through the cracks and we're losing because there's less people working at, in the medical field or the privatization. We still yet to have to see how that might affect mm. things down the road.
3: Well, absolutely. And I think it's so interesting if you take an like a really like holistic approach into this. And, you know, even someone who's told, you know, let's say this isn't really, you know, the best, like, protein for you, you should really kind of change your diet. Sometimes, you know, people, especially people with disabilities, might be in a situation where you just have to kind of eat what's most... Uh, Dare I say convenient? That kind of under available, under- underestimates affordable. What I'm but there's a bunch of that, right? Yeah. Available, affordable, and that you even have the resources and knowledge to acquire and put together right. that food. Right. So, yeah. Right.
2: Yeah, and I guess that's part of that bigger conversation of um, what's available to you, right? Like that that resource list. Really does depend on where you are in society, or who you are in society, and or if you're marginalized or if you're not. Like even with care, when it comes to going back to the opioid crisis and such, um, some people may afford the care. Some people may have the support systems, the people, the 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 money, or otherwise resources. Even just depending on where you live, right? Like locationally, mm. uh, can feel yeah. so inconsistent from person to person, from situation to situation, and um, unfortunately like we can't just have a broad conversation because it's so you know uh, tightly specific depending on who you are where you are and what your actual situation is
1: when i was shooting a taste of nunavut uh, up there in nunavut we got into this discussion of how fresh food is certain things because like, it takes time to get those vegetables in and people of course eat them but how fresh how how urgent? Can you get supports and helps medically if you have something going on? What is the practice? I'm not suggesting for a moment that we're in Canada, that there's certainly things that people have, you know, compared to other countries that are definitely in the have not. But that time, that sequence, that information, that up-to-date information, sometimes in some places within this country is not as accessible.
3: No, that's absolutely true. And fresh, fresh,
1: vegetables fresh
3: fruit bread exactly. vegetables all that stuff that is that is a privilege. it's a privilege like yes, it both is. to have access to that and to mm-hmm. have the ability to like acquire
1: store you know continue mm-hmm. to acquire that yeah that's yeah. you know people At, say, again you know, affordable grant right like it's yeah. one thing to pay good money for something fresh but a lot of people have to pay good money more money for something that may be a little older and not as and are so grateful just to get it
2: let alone how it's getting to your house. Or are you going to pick things yes. up? Can you get things delivered? Can you afford to do any of these other things? Like it, it, there are lots of conversations around this.
3: Definitely a luxury to have that. Mm. Uh, not sure how we're doing for time. I can maybe throw in one thing quickly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, go ahead. Um, go ahead. <laughs> probably have a couple minutes. Uh, yeah, but we're essentially. Good. Uh, There's an interesting uh, study that apparently is talking about a clear link between the quality of your sleep and memory formation, uh, including a new paper that talks about even a 1% reduction in deep sleep each year in individuals 60 and up is associated with significantly higher risk of developing dementia um so they list a few conditions to be aware of i mean the first one isn't for people over 60 but like students pulling all-nighters menopausal women tossing and turning and bed from hot flashes uh people who uh, obviously our sleep cycle is just like generally poor for whatever reason lack of light whatever shift workers uh, all those people really uh, should take special care if possible to make sleep a number one priority. And like, if it's a matter of seeing a sleep specialist, you know, getting whatever it is, CPAP machine. uh, It's one of these things that we all know we kind of should care about, but Mm -hmm. it can kind of slip down the list. But this is a new study that's essentially saying like, this is a number one top thing that needs to be done for your health.
2: 1% each year depletion of sleep, like for mm-hmm. for people over sixty, that is quite significant. Especially considering, you know, if you're gonna live to eighty, that's uh that's a long time. Well, sleep add that to be... all up,
1: right? Because you get up, yeah. the, like, literally, you know, one, two, one, more than one thirty, your sleep is lost, at I least. Know.
2: And we're not even, meant, like, this is not even specifying lifestyle, like, other factors of that, lifestyle you know, or, or health or, you know, what your living situation is, what your uh, scheduling situations are. Like, there's so many things to consider. And that's kind of interesting that it would be so, uh, like, such a significant um, change at the age of 60.
1: And that's... Absolutely. Grant, before or excuse me, after whatever you deal with through life—chronic pain, other issues that keep right. you away, worry, oh yeah, it's all night, getting worse. About oh stuff. yeah, that's... So, you know, uh Grant, excellent, if thank I... you very much. Only there is some way to switch
3: the old brain off. All right, thanks, guys. We'll try for some uh lighter topics next time.
2: Okay, I'll we'll um, see. Don't you just don't you
1: just have to hit your up and down volume and power off? Oh, sorry. I'm sorry, I'm I'm showing one of the reasons that most of us do lose sleep, as a matter of fact. Grant Hardy joins us Monday and Wednesdays. We talk headlines on the program. Ahead, Greg David stops by to highlight some Christmas specials, movies, and musical concerts that are coming to your screens in just a matter of weeks. He's ahead in two minutes on Kelly and Ramya. Stick around and learn something new. Kelly and Rumya return with more in a moment. Haven't mentioned this for a couple of days, ladies and gentlemen, and we got to keep on the ball all the great products the great creations over here at AMI uh, i'm talking AMI plus the new platform features a slick modern look and puts ami original content this award winning content i might add at the forefront it's fully compatible with uh, access uh, sorry assistive technology and happens to be the brainchild of Greg David check it out now ami plus that's where you want to get ami plus for you to be able to access it and enjoy the content. Kelly McDonald with Ramya Muthun.
2: Well, speaking of Greg David, let's bring him on. Every other week we like to talk TV with him.
4: I'm Greg David, and I love TV. Join me on Kelly and Ramya, where we talk about the biggest hits, misses, and trends in television and entertainment.
2: Getting pretty cozy, Greg, because it's December, we're looking forward to the holidays, some people's Hallmark lives have already begun, (laughs) Um, (laughs) but with the Christmas holidays coming up we want to highlight the classic specials, movies, musical concerts, TV shows, whatever it is that you go to around this time of year and that are becoming more and more available this time of year, that's where we're going to get to today, but before we do, from Toronto happening.
4: Yeah, great question. We just got that announcement uh, last week from CTV. This is the 119th original Santa Claus Parade, and it will be broadcast December the 9th at 7 p.m. Eastern on CTV. Spoiler alert: it was filmed last weekend in Toronto. Spoiler <laughs> alert, but uh, it's hosted by <laughs> Melissa Grelo, Kelsey McEwen, and uh, Tyrone Edwards. And I didn't know this, and CTV says it in the press release, so it must be true that this is North America's longest-running children's or children's parade, uh, it is a ninety-minute special, and it's going to feature Brenda Lee singing "Rocking Around the Christmas Tree," and that song celebrates its sixty-fifth anniversary. we are going wow. to be more than twenty, yeah, more than twenty-five floats, including Santa's newly animated reindeer that is going to guide him along the parade route. Yeah, just for a second, going back to that Brenda Lee note. Wow, sixty-five years that "Rocking Around the Christmas Tree" uh, has been around. Um, yeah, so some some landmark stuff coming up on. On December 9th on CTV.
2: Does December 9th feel uh, like a normal time <laughs> for you? Because it feels a little early for me. But then again, I never really followed.
4: I mean, you know, you started off the introduction today by talking about the Hallmark Christmas movies, yeah. and those things have actually been on the air since the summer because they've been advertising, uh, you know, holiday oh, summer. I forget what the tr- what the topic that they <laughs> you know they advertise <laughs> under. But you know, it
1: it isn't it like it, Christmas it, and in, Christmas, No, Christmas and July. Is all July. For. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, at Christmas yeah.
4: in July. Yeah, but it's funny because, um, you know, it used to it used to feel as though nothing could, you know, holiday related. You know, the American Thanksgiving was kind of that. So after the American Thanksgiving, then you saw all everything the advertising goes. and everything. But now it really seems to be year round. So I don't I don't think December the ninth is is too early because Santa still has all those all of that work to do in the
2: next yeah, few weeks yeah. getting
1: the toys ready. Right. Well,
2: there's just no yeah. novelty anymore. Like all year long, it's Christmas.
1: But okay. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> well, and when you talk a parade like this, I like how they say children's parade, but now it's it's yeah. just as produced as any other show. They they want it, they get it, and they edit so that the timing is there. They can squeeze as many commercials in as they need to <laughs> and yeah. honour it the way they want to because we can have it early enough so that the snow and weather isn't an issue and then play it yes. to the national audience and take all the Toronto fun out of it
4: you're absolutely right kelly i mean like you said weather is a big is a big issue sometimes Uh, although it would be cool to have a santa claus parade you know being broadcast when it was actually snowing out that would be kind of those days are
1: gone yeah, it's true. crazy, but they are. They're, next, we'll be seeing the fake snow they use in those movies. Um, really cool, Greg. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. Uh, Greg, let's get into some classics, though. And by those, you specifically mean particularly the ones created in the 1960s, such as uh, How the Grinch Stole Christmas and Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. Um, what's, the, what's the bad guy in there? The Abominable? Is that his name? Uh- uh yeah, Obama, and that. uh, yeah, Cornelius, yeah, yeah,
4: exactly, yeah. The bank, the bank and ras uh, or sorry, the rank and bass stuff. <laughs> oh, so,
1: <laughs> yeah, oh so, it's just absolutely hilarious. and all done. The voices for those, that one particularly, in Toronto. But anyway, when can we catch these?
4: So you can catch these classics all uh, Sunday, December the 10th on CBC. Frosty the Snowman, the animated classic, is on at 6 p.m. How the Grinch Stole Christmas is on at 6.30. And then Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer uh, follows that up at 7 p.m. They will be repeating um, throughout the holidays. So the week between Christmas and New Year's, they'll be on. But this is the first time that they're on uh, Sunday, December the 10th on CBC.
2: Okay. Fantastic. And we've already mentioned the specials were all broadcast in the 60s. What's the secret to the longevity? Why do we keep going back to them in 2023?
4: Well, for you know, I, I mean, I'm grew up in the '70s, so they were on and they were part of my childhood at the time. So they and they were, were old on. then. They're
2: older than you. And they, I know, and that's <laughs> the thing. When I
4: was when I was putting together this information, I'm like, this over 60 years since these things have all been on the air, which is crazy. Mm-hmm. But I mean, th- like I mentioned uh, a second ago, these stories were brought to life through Rankin Bass, who did Rudolph the Red Nosed Reindeer and Santa Claus is Coming to Town, which is, by the way, airing December the 17th at 4 p.m. on CBC, and at that point, that was cutting-edge technology, those little plasticine animated figures or whatever, however they did it. Um, So I always loved it because of that. And, you know, perhaps Dr. Seuss's most popular story brought to life through animation and the voice work of Boris Karloff. And when you tune in and watch those, the stories still hold up. You know, these Christmas stories are never-ending. They're evergreen material. And they quickly become, even though it's 60 years later, the tradition of the holidays for me. I feel like the stories
2: aren't even the main point though like do we really care about the stories as much as the nostalgia or the coziness or just like the vibe of throwing on these things maybe if you're watching it for the first time but uh, after a while i was just gonna say who's your
1: audience right Mm. that that to me is is it greg or is it the six-year-old that's never really i don't know anymore because to me it's like like yeah. It's like, like Lee and rock around the Christmas tree. We do people who listen to the music, oh my God, that sounds old. But now with technology today, we, we don't, we, people, younger people are so used to that old stuff, mom and dad or grandpa well, to listen to, and it's cleaned up and they don't mind.
2: And intergenerationally, oh, like mind. when we, you know, hand things down or like, this is my favorite, come watch it with me. You're still, you know, highlighting the nostalgia. Yeah. yeah. More than anything.
4: Yeah. Yeah, for me, it's, it's the nostalgia. I mean, forget about technology. And, you know, we're going to get into a couple of things that I think have become classics, even though they've only come out in the last 15 to 20 years. Mm-hmm. But, you know, these, you know, there is that comfort. Um, you know, you, you know all the words to Dr. Seuss's How the Grinch Stole Christmas, right? You know, you're a mean one, Mr. Grinch, and you feel badly for the dog. Like, you know what that story is year in and year out. Mm-hmm. So I think that uh, like the, those, the, the, the bad holiday movies that are on W Network or Hallmark, there's a certain comfort in watching those, yeah. those things around the holidays. For sure. Ah, I wouldn't touch you
1: with a night foot couch. Um, are these the titles, Greg, for you that immediately jump to mind when you think of these holidays?
4: Yeah, absolutely. These are these are my favorites. These are the ones that bring me back to my childhood, where I was, you know, trying not to poke presents under the tree and guess what was under there. So yeah, it's de- those sure, are definitely sure the titles for me. Try. But but what what about you, Ramya? What what is it that's a holiday classic for you?
2: Uh, I don't know if it's... I mean, I think now people would consider it a classic. Not as old as, like, The Grinch, but uh, yeah. Elf is my go-to movie every year. I watch most Elf. most people
1: now, right? And it's yeah, so a lot of people.
4: cute. Yes,
2: exactly. And... Um, a
1: lot of people love it. I think yep. it's and just... And it's 20
4: years old. Is so it? It's actually, yeah. I would say it is a classic.
1: Oh, this I actually is the did not know that it was that old. of Elf. Oh, well, it's so like the Home Alone series, fair? right? Those, <laughs> those really yeah. kick yeah, butt, right? Yeah, yeah.
2: But for me, I will go back to, like books like certain books feel wintry or christmasy you know certain episodes of sitcoms we've talked about this before right like the christmas episodes yeah. of certain sitcoms make you feel um cozy and i'll go back to those but for movies it's got to be elf kels greg what about did you have Kel?
1: a favorite yeah. sitcom did you have a favorite sitcom episode greg or or for not the, even sitcom T- holidays TV series related? Where every no. year yeah like because no eh because yeah, back in the no. day all all those shows would repeat they do a, yeah. a, a Christmas episode yeah. in the second season, and like you know, four seasons. they are like Christmas they're still specials,
2: like all ten yeah. episodes of all yeah. ten seasons that were Christmas, back to yeah, back. Oh back my God! Back. Back, back
1: back in the day, most didn't. Most of ours didn't do that many episodes. Mm. They might have done two right. in a ten-year series, maybe. Um, but Greg, I don't know. I th- I think the Home Alone for me are the ones that make me laugh and really make me feel that that um, you know that kind of thing about Christmas, but definitely. I even love sitting there and watching things like Oliver Twist at that time. I'm not, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, they just, it's the timing and going back to the memories. I'll throw the Grinch on, but mainly it's the the sound of it. It -hmm. makes me feel like I'm six years old. Even when I was six years old, I said, this stuff sounds old. You know, it was still the same thing, even though it was, you know, 15 years older than me.
2: Yeah, yeah. Uh, So let's keep going because we want to know when things are airing. Uh, Talk about what movies are coming up when.
4: Yeah, so a few classics are Miracle on 34th Street. That's going to be on December the 20th at 8 p.m. Eastern on CTV. A Christmas Carol is going to be on a few times, December the 21st at 8 on CBC, and then on December the 22nd at 8 on CTV. A lot of letters, a lot of C's in here today. Mm -hmm. And White Christmas is going to air December the 25th. So Christmas Day at 3.30 p.m. on CBC. You know, just after you open all the presents and just before you have your Christmas dinner, you can watch White Christmas.
1: Okay. Uh, Greg, some of these obviously are from even earlier than the 1960s, uh, you know, as, as we're talking about, A Christmas Carol starring Alistair Sims from 51. Yeah. While these are so wonderfully great, there are mo- newer ones that uh, we would just kind of mentioned, like mm-hmm. Home Alone and, <laughs> and, and, of course, Elf. Uh, when can yeah. we catch these guys?
4: Yeah, so Home Alone uh, can be seen on December the 19th at 8 p.m. on CBC and December the 24th, Christmas Eve, at 8 p.m. on CTV. We were just talking about Elf airing this coming Friday, December the 1st at 9 p.m. Eastern on CTV. And like I mentioned before, Elf, is this is the 20th anniversary of Elf. Aww. I remember going to see it in the movie theater. It's really hard to believe, believe it's been 20 years, but it I now would say that it is definitely a Christmas classic.
2: Now, I don't know if that's one of your favorite movies, but do you have one from the list we've gone through so far?
4: Yeah, Christmas Carol with Alistair Sim is my all-time favorite. Um, my mom loves it, and I remember watching it with her. Um but I do have to say that Elf is great too, and uh and Home Alone amazing as well. I've actually never watched White Christmas. Um I know Miracle on thir- uh Mir- Miracle on 31st 4th Street is a is one that that uh that everybody loves. Uh, I don't really like that one, but yeah, uh, I think we've both kind of we've all talked about our our favorite movies uh, during the holidays. But did you have any that you haven't already said, like Home Alone or Elf? Anything else?
1: Mm-hmm. Charlotte's Web. I, I don't know why that comes oh. on around that time of year. I know. Um oh my goodness with the, the the you know uh uh Dorothy and the gang uh Wizard of Oz that also was a oh Christmas yeah. yeah yeah and right? Th- that and the sound of music the sound of music is not a Christmas
4: movie like there are no. you know because there are Nazis in this movie and it is always shown during the Christmas holidays so yeah it is interesting though about um you know Charlotte's Web not what you would
1: think of as a traditional hol- holiday movie mm-hmm. but broadcast during that but time always shown and I don't know if it's just to fill air or what <laughs> i was gonna yeah, say right.
2: I, but even like the theater wise right like you could see so much mm. of um what did you guys just say um oh god okay. uh, Charlotte of music Reb? no not no. charlotte's we the other one With the Ruby Slipper. Yeah, Wizard of Oz. Like, you see so many variations of Wizard of Oz around this time of year. and the Chocolate Factory. Yeah, more, you know. (laughs) It's interesting that it happens, and I'm not sure if it's just because original release around this time of year or something. Something had to happen, and then it just becomes tradition, and then now we associate it with the festivities. Okay, run through quickly. A musical performance is coming up.
4: Sure, Sure Dolly will yeah, uh, Dolly Parton's Christmas of Many Colors is December the 6th at 2 p.m. on CBC. Um, but one that, uh, that you should check out now, it is uh, it, uh, a Ted Lasso star, Hannah Waddingham, who played Rebecca on the show. She has her own musical special called Hannah Waddingham, Home for Christmas. It's on Apple TV Plus right now. And she and many of her Ted Lasso stars are all on there singing Winter Wonderland, Please Come Home for Christmas, and Run Rudolph One, Run, excuse me. So check that out on Apple TV Plus, And also Hollywood Suite is going to be free, pre- free movies all month long starting on December the fir- f- uh, 4th. First, uh, excuse me. You can watch free movies on Hollywood Suite all month long, and they will have holiday movies on like crazy for the month of December.
2: Okay. okay. Sounds good. Yeah. So there's really, a little bit of really everything cool for stuff. people. Just turn on yes. your TV. Something will be on, and it'll be Christmassy. <laughs> <Yeah. Yes.
4: laughs>
2: Greg, awesome. Thank you. We'll chat with you in two Thanks weeks. Thanks so much. Sounds good. Greg David, a communications specialist at AMI, also our TV guy who joins us every other week. We were highlighting all kinds of Christmas-slash-holiday specials, so go back to the pod and get the dates down.
1: I like how I just kind of make some of these Christmas ones, even though they're not. Charlotte's Web, uh, Oliver Twist. Which yeah, like, I, are I
4: they? It kind of was. We didn't even, say, well, we didn't even mention Die Hard, did not even mention did at
1: Christmas. No, and I didn't think we should. But Charlie and the Chocolate F- oh, yeah. They're just the ones to settle up at, at Christmas and actually enjoy, I feel. Really are. Yep. Anyway, uh, we're going to step aside. Bill Shackleton, folks, is away uh, under the weather for a few days, we hope. Just a few days, right, Billy? Don't don't take too many. Anyway, uh, Mark Phoenix is going to join us in his place. We call the segment The Buzz. We do this Wednesdays through Fridays right here on Kelly and Ramya. Keep it here for more of Kelly and Ramya on AMI-tv. Returning, ladies and gentlemen, thank you for doing so. Always wonderful to have you on board. We're live here from 2 to 4 p.m. Eastern weekdays, Monday through Friday on the weekends. You may check out some of the best of Kelly and Ramya on AMI-tv. And Wednesdays through Fridays, we generally sit with uh, Bill Shackleton, Ram, and I, and we go over some different things that he brings to the table. We never necessarily know where he's going to go. He just has some interesting topics that he brings to us. He is under the weather, filling in as usual for him. Mark Phoenix joins us. Mark, how are you? Hey, I'm
0: doing pretty good out here at uh, Bay Roberts, Newfoundland. How are you folks doing back in uh, back in Ontario?
1: Mm. It's Ontario oh so. <laughs> yeah it'll do it's good
2: you know, you know it's
1: all yeah. all the money spending is sort of starting uh slowly uh it's the tis the season mm-hmm. yes it is well we were promised
0: uh, a snowfall warning um so far we have
1: fog <laughs> so oh. and... kelly's favorite
0: yeah, I like how he
1: says, oh, for. I love the fog. I love how you said, we were promised a snowstorm sto- <laughs> yes. snow squ- like snow warning. Just the yeah. warning. They promised they would do it. But no, I got stuck with my a darn watch. Ready.
2: I got my boots ready.
1: <laughs> I'm ready to shovel, baby. Oh, Mark could be the it's one to get, to get, get ahead of the up.
2: warning. Yeah,
1: that's, that's right. right. Mark's got the salt ready to go, and he was all set. So, listen, you, I wanted a warning. What are you doing? Just you don't want up to a mess around. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. What's with this fog? Come on. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Get that out of the way. How am I going to yeah. see the shovel? Anything? Oh, god. That's right. Um, let's start. With, how start? about we start with some good
0: news? Yeah, all right. Let's start with okay. some good news. Uh, Where on Tuesday, Indian rescuers pulled out all 41 construction workers, this is from the CBC, trapped inside a collapsed tunnel in the Himalayas for 17 days, hours after drilling through the debris of rock, concrete, and earth to reach them. The evacuation of of the men began more than six hours after rescuers broke through the debris of the tunnel in the Uttarakhand area state, which caved in on November 12th. They were pulled out on wheeled stretchers through a 90 centimeter wide steel pipe with the entire process being completed in about an hour. Uh, the first man to be freed wearing a dark gray winter jacket and a yellow hard hat was greeted with marigold flowers, uh, in a ceremony inside the tunnel with uh, state chief minister Pushkar Singh Dami and federal deputy highways minister VK Singh, uh, ambulances were lined up at the mouth of the tunnel to transport the workers to a hospital about 30 minutes away. Now the crew had been getting food, water, light oxygen and medicines mm. through a pipe, but efforts to dig the rescue tunnel, uh, we're running into difficulty uh due to a whole series of snags. Now, the tunnel is part of a $1.5 billion project called the Shar Dam Highway, which is one of Prime Minister Narendra Modi's most ambitious projects aimed at connecting four Hindu pilgrimage sites through an 890-kilometer network of roads. Authorities wow. have not said what caused the cave-in, but the region is prone to landslides, earthquakes, and floods. Oh, so, God, you know the kinds of things you get with any major infrastructure project. I don't know if you remember a few years back uh, the trapped Chilean miners. Yes, who were, for uh, sure, stuck down there for was it thirty days or so? Oh, My. And, yeah, it's uh, kind no, of like the it,
1: situation, it's but it's a scary thing because you think, well, what, what at least can they get enough opening to drop stuff down to people? But you yeah. still have issues of being underground if you're injured, like if, if you're lucky and no one gets hurt, that's enough of a challenge. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, not a great story for claustrophobes, unfortunately, but a good ending. Uh, yeah. It's nice to hear.
2: Do we really well, need a reason. You know, they're like... Uh the potential cause or reasons for the cave-in. But I'm thinking, like, yeah, as you said, anything can be a reason, no? Just the fact that Mm -hmm. this is what we're doing, digging, means that things can go wrong, period.
0: Digging through mountain ranges, Uh digging through geologically unstable areas, things Mm -hmm. go sideways. It happens. But nice to hear at least this story has, you know, a happy ending.
2: Yeah, and that they were able to kind of sustain, right, with the food and water and all this other stuff because the the worst is when you have no idea how you're going to survive this
0: and how long. Well, I, I expect at some point we'll probably be seeing a direct-to-streaming movie about this, which will make oh, for some would think
2: so. interesting if have... maybe a little uh, uncomfortable viewing. Mm, someone's getting the rights to it right now. But, but okay. we but yes. we <laughs> tune
1: right into it. As soon as those the oh, people are come, we're coming out, they were getting, can you sign this? Can you sign this? We've got an idea. Yeah. Someone yeah. does. Or yep. they will have. So we're capturing that idea now. Uh, what else do mm-hmm. you have for us,
0: sir? Well, this one from uh, Nevada. Uh, where a new Google geothermal thermal energy project could be a milestone for clean energy. This is from the Associated Press. An advanced geothermal project has begun pumping carbon-free electricity onto the Nevada grid to power Google data centers there, Google mm. announced on Tuesday. Getting electricity onto the grid for the first time is a milestone many new energy companies never reach said the said Tim Latimer CEO and co-founder of Google's geothermal partner in the project Houston-based Fervo Energy uh the project obviously is to power Google's data centers data centers suck energy they Just require massive amounts of electricity to run not just the computers, but the cooling, the air, uh, all the things that go into a data center. So, getting a company like Google trying to get its data centers off hydrocarbon, fossil fuel, electricity is a major leap if there's going to be any hope of sustaining any kind of our networking and electronic infrastructure in a post-carbon age. The International Energy Agency has long projected geothermal could be a serious solution to climate change. Uh, It said in a 2011 document that geothermal could reach some 3.5% of global electricity generation annually by 2050, avoiding about 800 megatons of carbon dioxide emissions per year. Now, the thing about geothermal is you need to be near either you know close to a fairly good source of under-surface heat, um, or you're able to drill all the way down to where it's hot under the earth. Iceland is a place where they run heavily off geothermal because it's right above a crack in the earth. Uh, Nevada, I imagine they had to do some drilling, but with Google's resources uh, and yeah. drive to do it, they uh, actually managed to accomplish it. So that is some good climate news, hopefully.
1: That is amazing. When you think about it, Mark, and I I bet when you read this, when you first saw this, it's like, oh, my gosh. And we are seeing... Bits of this, but against, and I know it's easy to get ourselves trapped, Rummy, into the hole. Yeah, but there's still so much not. What good is this going to be? What difference will it? Well, that's it make? where I and am. Every bit helps, right? But every bit <laughs> helps. Doesn't I mean, it?
2: of course, every bit helps, and I've had the very similar thoughts on the roundtable this morning on the Now Show, which is it's great when a big influencer like Google, with the money and the resources, as you pointed out, Mark, um, can do something like this and say, "He, see, this is successful. Let's keep going," but now. Now, how do they get other people on board? You know, what are the finances finances like? Who's going to take—is it going to be the big corporations that take over all of the problems and issues? Or do we have to get everybody on board in tiny little ways? And how do we do that, right? So Mm. when we think sustainability, I think of, like, everybody has to adopt—
1: we all have to. We, we all have to buy in. But I yeah. do believe the big companies have to lead the way. For one, or, the imprint they lead, but it uh, leave with what they do. But also, we hear the most about them. So if you if you hear, well, and you're a fan take, of Google. They got to be the trendsetters. To. Yeah. Well, they should be. But will they? They don't have to. They don't have to, they don't have to do anything but until also the government they have says, the money. Do it.
2: What happens when this starts affecting right. me as and an individual?
1: And where's my money? That's going? right. They yeah. have the influence. It's no point. Like, well, they used to always have that stupid law in the city. Oh, conserve, not law, but they'd request people to conserve on their air conditioner. And all you'd do is walk down Yonge Street in Toronto, for example, and all these businesses had their doors open in the air conditioning. Yeah, like, plowing. what are you talking like, about exactly? Your house makes no difference compared to. Mm-hmm. I mean, overall, if your whole neighborhood, yes, okay, but you got all these other big places pushing air, out, burning it up, and sucking up so much. So you definitely need the Googles. To, job, to, to be the leaders so that yeah. other people, if they're doing it, I guess I, and not only that, the the business, the, the their competition saying, well, wow, those jerks are doing it. They can't leave us in the dust looking bad. And you well, hope it's been... that starts it, Mark.
0: Absolutely. Well, I hope, I genuinely hope this is more than just some greenwashing. Mm. By oh the God. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, when oh, you consider, man. when you consider the amount of electricity just used for things like search results uh Mm -hmm. spam emails advertising tracking Mm -hmm. all the power used to run all the networking gear and all the computing just for all that waste imagine getting the data centers that you know push this data around Mm -hmm. onto renewable resources it actually would be a major leap that might mean we get to keep our flashy whiz bang computer technology into a post-carbon age that would be pretty Mm. nice
2: I mean, well, we have to. Both of them are so yeah. huge. Like, we need the, well, the energy yeah, savings, and, but computing is becoming more and more every day mm-hmm. and bigger, yeah.
1: Absolutely. Oh, and you got one hand that they're saying, hey, we're doing this positive thing. You look and say, hey, high-five me. That's wonderful. Well, this hand is doing something sneaky still at the company mm-hmm. or or bad. So you just needed across-the-board attempts in every department for them, Mark.
0: Absolutely. Next, sir. One more thing. and This one from uh, out here in Newfoundland, uh, from VOCM one of the few radio stations in Canada that doesn't start with a C for historical reasons. Mm -hmm. Uh, uh, Canada's tiniest town, Tilt Cove has voted to resettle. Tilt Cove on the Bay vert peninsula. Once a bustling mining community has decided as dwindled to just four people, all of whom have voted in favor of resettlement. The residents refused to do an interview on the topic, but one resident confirmed for VOCM news that the vote had taken place. There's no indication at this time as to when the resettlement will take place. Tilt Cove was founded in 1813 and boasted a population of more than 1,500 at the turn of the last century, thanks to the local copper mine. The population dwindled to just a few dozen after the mine closed in the 1920s. It reopened in the late 50s, but shut down again by 1967. Tilt Cove, recognized as Canada's smallest town, was the focus of an Ant-Man promotion, complete with a tiny poster so (laughs) that's it for canada's (laughs) tiniest town unfortunately Mm. Uh, a lot a a lot of little towns in newfoundland um have found themselves kind of dwindling and dying mines closing the cod fishery making many outport communities Mm. simply unsustainable Mm -hmm. and there's actually a process in place for these communities to vote to basically dissolve and be resettled closer to more populated centers
2: but what happens to the space the actual location?
0: Well, that's a fair question. Um, Some places simply molder over time. There's one place I'm aware of, Little Bay Islands, Mm -hmm. where... Most of the population resettled. They voted to dissolve it, move people elsewhere. Um, But there's one couple that set themselves up to live off the grid. They set up solar Ah. uh, facilities, uh, rain catching. They've set themselves up to live basically after the infrastructure is disconnected. Yeah. Over time, you're you're effectively going to end up with a bunch of ghost towns, Mm. whether they'll be revived through tourism, resettlement, or they'll just be reclaimed by nature. Well, time will
1: tell. Well, it, it, there's got to be a, a trade-off, I guess, right? If they're mm-hmm. getting the permission to move, there's got to be land that they're being allowed to take as that land is dealt with, reprocessed, and taken mm-hmm. over back by the by the crown or whoever, mm-hmm. right? Like, it, there's got to be something like that, where because of the issue of, hey, man, this place doesn't stand a chance being where it is. However, mm-hmm. being here, they have chance at tourism, they have chance at fishing industry, whatever it might be, or or mining or what have you, without taking from The other communities there, so that's really interesting, Mark. Four people. It'll get you imagine that if you. I don't get along well with my two neighbors. Well, move to another place. (laughs) That's my town. I shouldn't have to leave my town. Yeah, (laughs) get out of here, you guys. You're banished. Wow, imagine we're founding our own town.
0: Two of us, right here. There
1: we go. (laughs) He's the town drunk. Uh, He's the uh, the the. uh, You gotta wear
2: so many hats. Yeah, it's
1: just four Mm -hmm. people. (laughs) He's the barber. Yeah. Oh my gosh. All right, guys. Uh, Mark, we'll talk to you tomorrow. Thanks for filling in. Yes, catch you then. Mark Phoenix filling in for Bill Shackleton, who's away for the with the buzz, whichever way you want it, for the buzz, with the buzz. Coming up in the next hour of the program, on Know Your Rights, Danielle McLaughlin continues her discussion on what Canada can and cannot do for its citizens who travel abroad. And we take a look and listen back to a conversation that we had with Sophia Valente, fitness coordinator at Davenport Perth Community Centre in Toronto. But next. Toronto-based researcher and journalist Marcus Cole tells us about the problem of misinformation on social media. We know all about that, don't we? Well, listen to Marcus, because we think we only know. He's here with us after this. Keep it here for more of Kelly and
0: Ramya on ami TV.
1: London, Ontario. Kelly McDonald here. Ramya Muthun, she's on main campus in Toronto at our office. It was nice sitting in there yesterday kind of getting a feel mm-hmm. as we uh operate the show together side by side uh when when i'm in toronto and it, it's kind of interesting because we we try to figure out what the most comfortable but it was very nice sit back and be able to chat and so many of us there as uh, all of our team was around so it was a, a lot of fun and a nice experience and i enjoy getting a chance to say hi to everybody in the control room as opposed to doing this yeah hi guys and it really gives a good feel right guys
2: <laughs> and, you know, it was really nice that you would sit around and pet Glasgow through the show, and you guys really Okay, bonded. we have a guest waiting. I don't it think was you so people have time for you to sweet. make up stories. That was really nice That's and well, not bringing this up yesterday, yesterday either. So you didn't have really? to live deny it, but uh, hey.
1: Everybody I'm just knows waiting now. For the stories to come out that there's pictures of this alleged There are on my happening. phone. Don't oh, worry. Oh no, no. I got it. Oh no, no.
2: I got it, guys. I'll send it to you after. Okay. Yes, That's you're right.
1: That's a good shot of the dog on carpet. No.
2: Guest waiting <laughs> in the wings, and these aren't deep fakes, by the way. Guest waiting in the wings. Uh, we're going to be speaking now with Marcus Kolga, and he is a Toronto-based researcher, journalist, and a senior fellow at the McDonald Laurier Institute. So. Marcus's research examines how foreign influence operations spread misinformation to Canadians through social media. This is a very interesting and important topic, and he's joining us now to talk about the threat that these things pose to democracy. Marcus, thank you for coming on the show, and really important things to talk about, as I said.
5: Yeah, thanks for having me on.
2: So give us... um, kind of the scene, set it up for us, if you will. We all know that misinformation spreads very quickly on social media, but how big is the issue in terms of the effect on Canadian politics, et cetera?
5: Uh, well, yeah, look, uh, I mean, this isn't a new problem. No. Uh, we know that the, you know, the, the Russian government has been operating in this area of, uh, of disinformation and influence operations uh, pretty much since the Second World War, uh, when we discovered uh, a major operation in 1945 targeting uh, Canadians, Canadian interests, uh, and a number of uh, of Russian assets at that time, journalists, uh, elected officials and such. Um, and uh, they haven't really uh, stopped doing this since then. Um, and we've, of course, have other uh, authoritarian regimes who have jumped on board. And of course, we have domestic actors, uh, mm-hmm. those uh, individuals who are trying to push their own uh, agendas, conspiracy theories. All of this in, is in the mix. And uh, it is toxic. Uh, we We do have a very... Uh, congested Uh, and uh, polluted information environment right now in Canada, not just on social media, uh, but uh, just generally online as well. And there are. There are millions of Canadians who we know are affected by this because most Canadians use social media. So at one time or another, I think almost all Canadians have been exposed to uh, misinformation and and disinformation. And uh, it, it doesn't look like things are going to get any better anytime soon. This is a threat that is persistent. It's growing, and uh, it could uh, affect it eventually uh, erode trust in our uh, democracy, our elected officials, and media. And we're seeing that happen every every single day.
1: It's interesting, Marcus. It used to be that you had to worry about that bad actor being a reporter, maybe, or somebody who wrote a column and took a a different left wing or whatever it might be and pushed it and led people into believing, hey, this person knows their stuff. I should pay attention and hang on every word they say. But now with social media, you got a whole world of us stepping up and saying, hey, I've got an audience of people wanting to hear my opinion, and there's no more of that. Well, yeah, but with that a level of responsibility and right now a lot of that research focuses on that misinformation from russia um that what kind of ongoing threats that we should think about worry about and be aware of and yeah well
5: at... you make a right kelly you make a really really good point about uh, opinions i mean in the old days we may disagree with a, a columnist Uh, who wrote uh, about their opinion on specific facts. But we all sort of agreed on what the basic facts were, and we may have different interpretations about them and argue about our opinions. Um, Now the problem is, is that... Um, you know, We have countries like Russia who um, are injecting uh, information that is not based on facts. In fact, it's uh, based on lies, conspiracies. And, and we've seen them target a range of topics, uh, very sensitive topics over the past uh, few years, especially here in Canada and the Western world. One of them is, of course, COVID. Um, we saw uh, Russian information operations target um, the, the pandemic, to advance uh, anti-vaccination narratives, uh, to promote vaccine hesitancy. And we saw this actually throughout the world. And even the European Union warned that Russian uh, information agents were trying to intensify the negative effects mm. of COVID during that period. Um, we've seen it during the uh, invasion of Ukraine, all sorts of disinformation being promoted uh, regularly by the Russian government and Russian state media outlets, and the P- and unfortunately uh, some actors in Canada who who support them. This includes this uh, ongoing narrative that uh, Russia uh, is invading Ukraine to try and denazify it. Um, this is the excuse that Vladimir Putin used already during the the start of the war when he announced that it was a. Not a war, but a three-day operation to denazify right. Ukraine. Yeah. Ukraine's Ukraine's president uh, is uh, is is part of the Jewish community, um, and there isn't a single far-right party in in Ukraine's parliament. So it's a complete nonsense narrative, but it's intended uh, to turn us against Ukraine. And, and thankfully, uh, that's not working.
2: There's so many um, questions as to how something like this ends up working, right? Like, how do we measure uh, why it's so powerful, why this tactic can get so far? I mean, an obvious answer is that technology, everything is so widespread. Instantly, information is at your fingertips. So whether that information is true or not is almost irregardless of how big that information ends up feeling, right? So talk to us about the mechanics, please. Like, how does something like uh, state-sponsored actors um, work? How does the misinformation get spread so effectively and so quickly?
5: Well, that is also a great question. Um, and the tactics are pretty similar across all of the authoritarian regimes that that use disinformation and influence operations to uh, to mislead us. Um, essentially what happens is that there's someone in you know one of these capitals, whether it's Beijing or it's Moscow, Tehran, um, someone comes up with with a narrative uh, that uh, is misleading, it's false, but it's meant to advance the interests of those regimes. Um, That then is often uh, 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 publicized by diplomats that are uh, sometimes operating in a country like Canada, perhaps by the Ministry of Foreign Affairs. They then move on to state Media platforms. So in Russia's case, it's a it's a platform called RT, which is its English language state controlled media outlet. Uh, And from there, the hope for these propagandists is that influencers will pick up that story. And push it out on their own social media channels. It might get quoted by someone, and in that process, basically, it's like a laundromat. Uh, they wash out the the regime's fingerprints from it, and it sounds like it's a legitimate uh, mm-hmm. a legitimate narrative. If if there's someone that you can identify in social media that's Canadian or American um, who's retweeting this stuff, and that's really the gold standard. And in the in the best case scenarios for these regimes. One of these influencers is picked up and it gets this influencer will get quoted by mainstream media on national television, for example, uh, promoting those same narratives. And that's the real that's the real objective of them. Usually they don't get that far, but they certainly are. They've created a swamp and a cesspool uh, in social media nowadays.
1: And it's so scary because there are those people who just do that for their own platform, for their own benefit will spread. I have to be opposite. I have to say, oh, here's something that I can utilize that supports mm. that. And it's so scary. When we hear this stuff as Canadians, as anybody out there, what can we do about it, Marcus? And how can we be sure we're media illiterate? Because a lot of time it's media getting screamed at too for, you know, they make up so much stuff and push it through. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, I hear that a lot, that, uh, you know, people,
5: a lot of these conspiracies are blaming mainstream media, you know, uh, good folks like you who are pre- uh, presenting very good information to your audience. Um, you know, there are a few basic tips uh, that I tell Canadians that they can uh, deploy to sort of protect themselves. One is to check the source of the information that they're receiving. I'm an old school sort of guy, so I pay for a newspaper to be delivered mm. to my my door every morning. I like that sensation of trying turning the, the pages of the newspaper while I'm drinking my coffee. Um, it costs money uh, to do that. And I, you know, I think we all recognize that good information, good media does cost, but, um, but when they do see news, you know, make sure that it's coming from a credible source. So one that you recognize, if it's, if it looks like it's coming from uh, somewhere outside, if you don't recognize the source, it's better not to maybe click on it. And if you click on it, um, you know, make sure that you you consume that information with a critical eye, that you're not necessarily, uh, you know, believing it and certainly not retweeting it. The other point I would say is that if you see a headline uh, on social media, um, a statement that is really uh, elicits a, an emotional reaction, it you, makes you really angry, mm. for example, um, you know, it's probably meant to do that if that's the case. And so, you know, take a step back before you, you know, retweet or or like uh, a tw- uh, a post like that. Um, take a look at the headline again. Take a look at the source. If you don't recognize it, it could be, uh, you know, uh, just a political opportunist and uh, uh, some website that is going to make money off of your click or off your like on that tweet, and and that's what they're trying to do. So they're not always state actors either. It's sometimes it's these grifters who are trying to do this too. Um, so those mm-hmm. are the two main steps. That I would and and tools that I would suggest that uh, cognitive tools that Canadians should use when they're looking at social media and information posted on there.
2: Yeah, Marcus, you're pointing out something so significant here, which is just like our reactionary uh, way of handling things, right? It's so easy with the click of a button. You're you know reposting, liking, you're taking sides, you're uh, just reacting to whatever is out there, and it's happening uh, like. Exponentially, because of what it is to be tech, uh, to, you know, to have a phone at your fingertips nowadays. That's just what it means. And you mentioned, you know, paying for sources that are reliable, that are peer reviewed. And we don't do that. The average person does not do that. You get your news off of TikTok and Twitter and everything else that's out there. So it's kind of ironic. Um, is it hard to then go from where we are now to almost turn it back, you know, unwind it and say, okay, we need to be more cautious. We need to be more, uh, you know, take take a breath between things. Is it hard to have that conversation with people?
5: Uh, well, you know, I, I, that's the, the the question I get asked the most. Um, you know, how do we fix this? Mm. Uh, you know, the unfortunate thing is that the genie really is, is out of the bottle. And uh, trying to get that genie back in is going to be very difficult. Um, And it's going to take a a complete whole society approach to doing that. You know, I mentioned um, good media, newspapers costing money. Well, we need to make those newspapers available. Um, You know, local newspapers are shutting down all over the place. We need to make sure that uh, local communities have those newspapers because they're staffed by people like you, professional journalists who have been trained in the handling of facts, the verification of facts. Mm. We may not always like the facts. Uh, mm-hmm. right. But facts are different from opinion, um, and when, right. when it comes to professional journalists, you know we have to trust them. Um, There's some, maybe some bad apples out there, but the ones that work for our legacy media companies, uh, you know, papers like the Globe and Mail, the Toronto Star, the National Post, these people are professionals. We should trust them. That's their job. Uh, and so, starting there and making sure that we have a healthy. Media environment uh, and healthy information that uh, that Canadians can cons- consume. That's the very first point and or very first thing that we need to do mm. as we you know set up set about trying to heal the nation and end the polarization that's really um, just uh, continues to grow in our country. Yeah, there's
2: so much to think about, and we didn't even get to AI and how things are getting worse on that front uh, in terms of like sifting through understanding misinformation from real information. But Marcus, we got to let you go. Hopefully we can get you back on again because uh, this is fascinating stuff. Thank you.
1: Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. I appreciate Thank you. you. Thanks for the time.
2: We were speaking with Toronto-based researcher and journalist Marcus Kolka, and we were speaking about the problem of misinformation on social media and otherwise, um, you know, given to us and how it affects our democracy here in Canada.
1: Um, I like how uh, in an article... Uh, that Marcus was involved in, there it, it was a discussion simply of how you can even see it, south of here how the Republicans have picked up on this mm-hmm. and how it, it's affected their viewpoints and started to erode the support for Ukraine. Um, and, and you just don't want to, you don't want to see that. No, you don't want any of that with any of the things going on like that. But we are exposed to so much, as Marcus said. Uh, we're going to step aside for a couple of moments, folks. And when we return we're going to take a look and listen back to a conversation that we had with Sophia Valente fitness coordinator at Davenport Perth Community Center in Toronto. We did this discussion Ramya did with her at the uh, Balanced Community Fair back in September, a while ago, but folks were rounding up those interviews and get bringing them to you. Last one ahead in, in 2 minutes. Don't go away. There's more great conversation with
4: Kelly and Ramya right around the corner.
1: Thanks for being with us, ladies and gentlemen, wherever you're hanging out around the world, listening in on AMI-audio. Remember, you can catch the show at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, Monday through Friday. Repeated the show at 10 p.m. Eastern and 6 a.m. in the morning. We say hi to all of you listening in wherever you are out there via AMI-audio. Kelly McDonald here, Rumya Muthan. She's at the studio in Toronto. I'm at the home studio in London, Ontario, Canada, and uh, just ready to settle back. A really great show today. Lots of amazing conversations. Rum. Yeah, really, we engaged with Marcus last segment.
2: Oh, gosh. I mean, the things that what's going on with news, with media, and also that irony of what used to be big sources, big media, you didn't know information unless it came from a giant source and then you would, you know, take in whatever you got. Now, everyone's a journalist. We say this all the time and that changes everything and it changes it on so many different levels and we kind of got to go back to the other uh, version, but we can't. Because, as you said, genie's out of the bottle, right? So it's really uh, interesting to talk about the nuances around that.
1: I I love it. And, again, it's the platforms people have. And all I keep hearing in my head is with power comes a responsibility. And I'm not suggesting anyone out there on social media has any more power over the next guy or or, or person, whatever you Mm want to say it. But you do have a responsibility to at least tell the truth. It shouldn't that be your mantra that, hey, I, I, I you know, believe mm. I understand we all have different opinions and what your truth or what you believe to be may be different from someone else's. But when there's misinformation spread around, it's so easy for so many of us to grab on thinking this is a truth. This is factual. Do those checks that that he, Marcus was talking about. Um, A couple of months ago, we went to the Balance Info Fair, which was a tremendous event. It was really nice. So let's take a look and listen to a conversation that Ramya had with Sophia Valenta, Davenport Fitness Coordinator at Davenport Perth Neighborhood and Community Health Center.
2: I'm Ramia Amadin and I'm here with Sofia Valente, Fitness Coordinator at Davenport-Perth Neighborhood and Community Health Center. Yes, that is a mouthful, but we're going to talk a lot about fitness today. So Sophia, thank you for coming on, nice meeting you. And I want to ask you what your role is at this community center.
6: Well, at the moment I'm the fitness coordinator, mm-hmm. uh, I usually I plan the, the programs. Um, I define what we need to do. I do the assessment for, for the participants. Okay. Uh, we try to attend their needs and we have different kinds of uh, programs to, to the community. We have the yoga, we have Zumba Gold, mm-hmm. we have uh, dancing, line dancing, nice. we have folklore for, um, for Spanish people. Outdoor we have ping pong, we have bocce. Oh. Uh, yes, uh, especially during the summer we can go outdoor and do ping pong. Uh, Do you know what his bocce is? Yes,
2: bocce is great, yep. Have you done it? I have not done it, but we have a Brock Richardson, who is another co-host on the show, and he plays bocce. Well, he played for the Paralympics, so
6: that was really Oh, that's amazing. Usually it's an Italian game. They love to do it. We usually can do it in pairs. Mm -hmm. People get uh, so much fun. It's really, really, really fantastic. Uh, We also do the pole walking in the park. pole
2: walking, yes. Yes, yes.
6: We try to help people. Nordic, right? Sorry? walking Pole walking okay
2: okay
6: yes uh, we try to help people to be more in connect with each other to reduce the isolation and do some kind of exercise mm.
2: Oh well we know how exercise is very powerful especially with other people right group activities
6: yes yes, yes. they can be more uh, more active and be more, more motivated uh, and we can always uh, improve their abilities too
2: What kind of people come for these programs? Are we talking people, newcomers, people with disabilities, just anybody, everybody, different age groups?
6: Firstly, as I said, we need to do a little assessment. Mm -hmm. We speak with the laborers community, with Portuguese, uh, English speakers, Mm -hmm. um, Afro-Caribbeans, Italians, Spanish. uh, And to the seniors, besides the the fitness, we try to provide them uh, social programs. Okay. workshops, uh, some arts and crafts, activities, uh, like um, going on trips. Yeah. Um, These few weeks ago we went to CNE with them. It was really, really, really amazing. Uh, we spent there all day.
2: Yeah.
6: We, we did the trip for Wasaga Beach. We are going the next next following week to um, San Jacob's Market. Oh, yeah. We, usually, we are always, uh, the spots are, we have no spots. We promote that in a week and it's mm-hmm. always full. Uh, so we try to give to the community what um, they also What they us. want. Yeah, what yeah, they, yeah, What they need, yes. yes. Mostly uh, that.
2: And it's very diverse. Like you guys offer so much, right? Uh, for socializing, um, which feels very powerful. So back to the fitness, I, what's your background in fitness? Do you just enjoy it? Do you love it or did you yes, do more? Yes, my th-
6: background is I'm um, a social worker. Oh, okay. Um, and my background is also in HR. Uh, as a, in fitness, my passion is also. I came background, have background in ballroom, so I try to to bring that to fitness. Ballroom dancing. Ballroom dancing. Nice. I did that for many years. Yeah. And I try to bring that uh, in a funny way to the exercise to the department. That's the fun. class that I was promoting, it was more focused in the ballroom and the Zumba Gold.
2: So do you? It, um, Instruct some of the workshops as well, the fitness workshops.
6: Yes, Uh, once a week I'm I'm promoting the class on Wednesday, Mm -hmm. from 2:30 to 3:30. We call it dance fitness, and it's like a Zumba Gold with um, mixed uh, ballroom steps.
2: That sounds like a lot of fun.
6: Yes, I try to create some choreographies, but um, uh, I also like to have some time available to do some, um, as it's uh, a. Spaces we work as a family because I already know the all the seniors. Yes, uh, we have some time to they, 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 where they can uh, show their steps, their art, like
2: um, a showcase.
6: Yes, exactly. Mm.
2: Oh, that sounds uh, like so much fun!
6: Yeah. Beca- it's amazing to see in the face when they finish the class. Mm-hmm. It's really, really, really fantastic. So it's not
2: drop-in, right? It's a, you have a certain number of classes that yes.
6: people would attend. Yes, yes. And uh, we got to be careful about that. We need to, to see if the person can do the class or mm-hmm. not.
2: I see or what you're doing the assessment. Is. Okay. We
6: need to do the park use, yes. How do people
2: find your organization and find this program? Do you get referrals? Or do you just Yes,
6: we get we get referrals for other organizations, but we also can be reached out uh, online mm-hmm. through our site. Uh, and people can always c- call us or pass by. We we have many, we do many outreach with other organizations and uh,
2: yeah, and get people coming in.
6: Yeah, always people coming in. And where are you located? We are located at one nine zero zero Davenport Road. Mm-hmm. It's the intersection um, Davenport and Symington.
2: I'm curious about other fitness activities. You mentioned a, a bunch. A lot of the dance stuff sounds like your your thing, your passion. Are there any pool workouts, water workouts, or um, things like that around the summertime that you do?
6: No, we usually we do that all the year. We have line dancing. Okay, nice. We'll start on Fridays. Yeah. Uh, and we have um, also we'll start on Thursday the folklore, the Spanish folklore.
2: Oh, folklore! Okay, that sounds yes. like so much fun. it will
6: be really, really. Fantastic.
2: It's exciting. And what I really love is that um, you cater the workouts to the people who are coming in. So it's not necessarily, you know, a, a, a set in stone way, right? You can adjust going as you go.
6: Yes, we need to to see until where the seniors can go. We need to, to know their limitations
2: mm-hmm.
6: and create a program accordingly.
2: Okay, fantastic. Sophia, thank you so much for your time. I appreciate talking to you. Okay. We, we were speaking to Sophia Valente, fitness coordinator at Davenport Perth Neighbourhood and Community Health Centre. So this conversation was awesome, Kels, because we talked a lot about fitness and a lot about wellness, uh, but specifically when it comes to these kind of organisations focusing on communities, so neighbourhoods mm-hmm. and location is such a big thing, and it becomes kind of regular places, havens for people, right? Like you get to know the... Staff, if you're a participant, the staff get to know you as a participant, and there's just so much that you can kind of rely on. Um, I think of it kind of like community center vibes when we were teenagers or, you know, growing up. You go to community centers for every kind of activity you want to take part in. And then if you're just bored on a Thursday night, you might go to your community center, see what's up, like drop-in programs, et cetera. Uh, Or the ice rink is open in the winter or the swimming pool is open in the summer, that kind of thing. And talking to Sophia, that's the vibe that I got, which is um, the the neighborhood that they cater to, you know, all the, the details of the kinds of folks that come out to these things and the kinds of activities that are catered directly to them. But also just in general, You're building a community, and this is a space for the community to be part of.
1: It's a warmth and connection. I, I I remember my dad used to talk about the old gyms they had back in the days where everybody would just go and do one thing or another, but it was community. You hung out, you talked, whether you stood out in front of it, never even went in and exercised. Yeah. Some people see the, the public library the same, right? Like yeah. you'll, you'll find that little, because it's neighbourhood. You, you're amongst a bunch of houses, you step out to the corner, and there's the library in a lot of places that are lucky enough to have that. And unfortunately, not enough places... Have whether it's a community center or a library accessible as much. Now you got to be careful of some of the things that go on, damage and so on. Where these these places years ago, it was like a palace. Uh, you, you know, it was you wouldn't have gone in there and mm-hmm. abused it. You were so happy to and, have access, and it was your home.
2: Yeah, yeah, or your home away from home. Like it's the spot that you would That's go right. to, um, and. We talk a lot about the CNIB hubs, right? And I know that at least for the one in Toronto, it is very much the place for people to hang out. Now, unfortunately, as usual, COVID threw a damper in the in-person side of community. But still, the hub was that place that even if you didn't know what exactly was happening, um, but you're a blind person living in the area or living in Toronto— you could go there and just know that something would be happening or that you'd meet people in the community, or you could just go to hang out, you know, just go take your work and, and do it there. But the space itself is welcoming. The vibe is, and the staff know their role or uh, their, their kind of what they're offering to the people who come out. And I I think that's lovely. I
1: know it's, and I know it's tough because you've got to have manpower, you've got to have people, somebody there securing, yeah. somebody to be there to help and, and support, and the numbers of people you're going to get out are not going to be the staggering numbers that merit yeah. that, those donations of support. It's just got to be though. how important. No, but it's got to be, somehow the doors have got to stay open, mm-hmm. and you've got to sell it to potential sponsors, supporters, government grants, somebody's got to write them up, and it doesn't matter if it's only two or three people there an evening. you're there you're warm you're inviting lots of room Uh, to experiment as well oh my gosh yeah and there's so many things you could do in so many different ways of expanding that space and usage of it we step aside for a couple of moments folks on know your rights today danielle mclaughlin is going to continue her conversation on what canada can and not do for its citizens who are traveling abroad Catch the Pulse this Saturday and Sunday at 2 p.m. Eastern, 11 a.m. Pacific on AMI-audio. This week, Joita speaks to about disability and aging with Anne Lee, a researcher at Maynooth uh, University in Ireland. That's the Pulse this Saturday at 2 p.m. Eastern, 11 a.m. Pacific on AMI-audio. Also, in case you can't check it out at one of those times, it's available using your favourite podca- uh, podcast platform and over there on YouTube, you can watch Joita interviewing her guests and follow the great conversations. Kelly MacDonald here with Ramya Muthan.
2: Now, we're not doing this to confuse you. It just worked out this way that Danielle there McLaughlin is joining us. Yeah, we do it to confuse producer's ourselves. Trick. Uh,
1: it's the producer's trick.
2: Danielle McLaughlin is joining us today for Know Your Rights. It's a Wednesday, so I might be throwing Thank you me. off a little bit, but it is really interesting conversation. So let's bring her on.
7: Did you know that everyone has rights? No matter who we are, we all qualify. But what happens when freedoms collide? The answers are rarely simple, but always interesting. Join me, Danielle McLaughlin, to talk about civil liberties and human rights on Know Your Rights. Danielle. Happy Monday, Danielle.
2: hello. Happy hello. Wednesday.
7: it feels like <laughs> Monday. I, 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 I really missed you guys Monday. I was at around 3.30, I was mm. walking around feeling all lonely. But I heard you had a really good time. Why didn't you sit down time? and do a
1: segment? You should have practiced.
7: <laughs> Just Mock, pretended. Right. Mark, know your rights. Yeah. Have yeah. your
1: husband pretend to be us, change his voice and stuff like that, yeah. sound better than we do, and do the but segment. It's good.
2: But know your rights it's is good any day of the week, right, Danielle? Especially when we had a Absolutely. conversation that was very riveting, very informative, and then we had to go. So you wanted to bring it back.
7: I did. Uh, earlier this month, we were talking about what Canada... Can and cannot do for its citizens who travel abroad. And I know that people have been focused, for example, on people, uh, Canadians in Gaza, Canadians in Israel. Um, Unfortunately, we ran out of time before we could talk about whether or not the Canadian Charter of Rights and Freedoms applies to Canadians when they leave this country. Mm. So today we're going to ask a few questions about this issue.
2: Okay, so let's get right into it. Does it apply? Does the charter apply to Canadians when they're not in Canada?
7: So, of course, that's we're not going to have a simple answer to that. Right. Basically, the answer is no. However, there are places where um, Canadians who are abroad have claimed their their charter rights. And it gets complicated, as unfortunately um, we have seen. Now, if we talk about the people who are in the Middle East or who've been in the Middle East, Canada has done its best in most cases to help people who want to leave. And again, I, I will stress who want to leave. They, want there's to. no obligation okay. for anyone to leave who does right. not want to do so. Um, and they can uh, apply for consular services whether or not those services are available depends upon a whole raft of things. Um, for example, you know, if, if a place is in a state of war, it's not always easy for Canadi- the, the Canadian consulate um, to be able to reach out to its citizens. Um, they can't magically transport people out of uh, danger into a, into a peaceful place or back home to Canada. Um, but they can they can help and they can give assistance where where it is possible. But there are no guarantees. There are so, other. Yes. Yeah, oh, go, so go, go ahead. Go Danielle.
1: ahead. Well, I, I was just simply going to say, what a situation when your government and some of the countries in the world, I'm sure, think this way. Oh, we've got citizens that are trapped there. Let's just go in and get them. And you can't. You got to respect. The, the, the atmosphere of, of said country, what's going on, the conflict itself, as long as whatever you want to call the rules are, um, yeah. and, 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 and non-violations.
7: Well, that's a very strong point that you've made here, Kelly, because when you are out of Canada, you are subject to the rules and laws of the country where you are. So even if those rules and laws are different from the ones that we have here Canada can't do much about that. So, for example, if you are arrested and you have dual citizenship um, with the country where you are are and Canada, um, the country where you are may not recognize your Canadian citizenship. Mm. They may say, sorry, our country doesn't recognize dual citizenship. You're out of luck. Um, And you may have done something that in that country is illegal, which would be perfectly reasonable in Canada. One example might be protesting. Um, There are Canadians and there are quite a few Canadians, by the way, abroad who are incarcerated in other countries because they have been convicted of various offenses, some of which are also offenses in Canada uh, and some of which aren't. Um, But, Canada is not really able to do much about that. Um they as you said they can't sort of leap over borders no. and rescue you. That that's not no. going to happen. They can offer you a list of lawyers who might be able to help you in the country where you are and those would be lawyers for that country, not 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 Canadian lawyers, but lawyers who practice in the jurisdiction where you happen to be. Um it's up to you whether or not you hire those people um, and And your expense and your expense and they may or may not be successful and we have a number of cases that I'll talk about in in a few minutes um, where people are probably aware uh, uh, of this circumstance but other than the Charter we have different ways of protecting our rights. So, for example, there are international human rights accords that are protected by the United Nations. There's customary international law. Um, and there's the International Criminal Court in The Hague. Now, that court doesn't just prosecute, um, you know, p- petty crime. It is there mm-hmm. to prosecute um, crimes against humanity, for for example, or genocide. So when we hear, Danielle,
1: that some country has stepped over the lines, whether it be Russia, whether it be right now, the current what's going on with Israel um, and Hamas and say that war crimes are being Mm -hmm. committed, that generally comes from The Hague. Is that correct?
7: Well, that's an interesting question, Kelly. And the reason is not every country has signed on to the International Criminal Court. Canada has. Of course, right. The mm-hmm. United States has not. Israel has not. Russia has not. And there are something like 40-odd countries that have not signed on to it. So they aren't subject to that International Criminal Court, or at least they say they're not. Um, but as an example, Putin has been accused of war crimes. Um, this means that in the countries that have signed on to To the International Criminal Court. He can't travel there without the risk of being arrested. Um, um, He's he's been indicted. Um, He can stay in Russia without any fear because the International Criminal Court can't reach into that kind of country, the country that has not signed on. The United States is an interesting case, and there are numbers of countries like this. They have um, signed on to the criminal court, but their governments haven't ratified it. So it, it's ah. it's basically null. it doesn't really, yep. it, it doesn't have an effect. Mm-hmm. And, you know, unless the people who are indicted are arrested and brought to the court in The Hague, and by the way, almost all of the individuals who have faced charges in The Hague are from African countries. Um, you know, unless that happens, it, there, there's a kind of immunity almost. There there, there, there aren't a lot of teeth here. Um, right. So, you know, some people have said, well, international law, what is that anyway? And generally speaking, international law applies between countries, not individuals. So if, you know, so if um, Ukraine wants to charge Russia uh, before the International Criminal Court, that would be the place to do it if either of them had actually signed on to to that court. So, you know, these are, these are very kind of arcane things, and they don't do an individual Canadian a whole lot of good uh, overseas when they're looking to see how to be protected, right? Right, okay.
2: Yeah. So, yeah. Danielle, which issues, if you are traveling abroad, like you mentioned a lot of different examples here and how they might be uh, dealt with, but which rights might be most at issue? Good, good
7: question, Ramya. So the one that I often think about is your mobility rights. Now, for people who are in Canada and are citizens of Canada, and you know most of our rights and freedoms apply to anyone once they've crossed into our border. There are only two rights that just apply to citizens, and those are the right to vote and mobility rights. So your democratic rights and your mobility rights. Mobility rights basically say if you leave the country we've got to take you back in if you want to come back. Um, it also says you can live anywhere you want in the country and Canada can't tell you, you know, you can only live I- I- you know, in the Atlantic provinces or you can only live in BC. So those are your mobility rights. You have the right to life, liberty, and security of the person. Those are pretty much your most crucial rights because mm. unless you're alive, the rest of your rights don't much matter. Um, right. Canada, again, can try to help you with those things. But again, your liberty, if you are incarcerated outside of Canada, is definitely at risk. Right. Can you do something about that um, You know, if and when you get back to Canada? Can you sue the Canadian government for having um, done something that has in fact infringed upon your life, liberty and security of the person on your freedom of expression. And here's another one that is often thought of is your right to be free from unreasonable search and seizure. Mm. And that Mm -hmm. sounds kind of like, okay, so here's an interesting case. The the name of the case is HAPE, H-A-P-E. And Mr. HAPE was a Canadian who was overseas and was suspected of doing something he ought not to have done. the Canadian government, um, wanted to have his premises searched so that they could gather evidence to uh, prosecute a crime that had been committed um, in and outside of Canada. And in the place where Mr. Hape was residing, that country did not have a requirement that Canada has For you to get a search warrant, if you want to, if if the officials want to go in and search your house, guess what? They have to have a search warrant, Mm -hmm. not in the country where he was. So the Canadian government uh, asked the police, and this was in the Turks and Caicos, to go in uh, and search his premises, which they did, gathered evidence. He was charged. And then when he got back to Canada, he said that was an illegal search because mm. they didn't have a search warrant and it was the Canadian government who asked for this to happen. Um, long story short, he didn't win that case. The, the uh, no laws were broken outside of Canada and um, the search occurred outside of Canada. We also have a really terrible case right now and it's the case of Mr. Jalil. He has been incarcerated in China for something like 15 years now. He is a Chinese and a Canadian citizen. He is not, by China, considered to have any citizenship except the Chinese. And he is uh, a man of Uyghur descent, and he has been very outspoken about the mistreatment of the Uyghur population in, um, in China. He was arrested, and this is a freedom of expression issue. If he had been protesting in Canada, he would not have been arrested, but mm-hmm. he was arrested, mm-hmm. and yeah. he is currently in jail. He has never met his youngest child, who was born after he was arrested. Canada has repeatedly um, asked to see him, to provide him with consular services, and China has been very reluctant to let Canada, let Canadian officials in to see him or even his family to, to visit him. And this is an ongoing case, um, you know, a- and it will continue to be ongoing. People in Canada have protested. They said, Canada, do something about this mm-hmm. man who is a Canadian citizen. And Canada's really not got a lot that they can do about this, in, in this particular case. The other case that you probably remember is the case of Omar Khadr. Mm-hmm. And, Omar Khadr was 15 years old when he was arrested and charged and brought to uh, Guantanamo Bay. Canada sent uh, their operatives to interrogate him in Cuba, which was on territory claimed by the United States. He was arrested and held by the United States. Um, When he, through many machinations, eventually came back, to Canada and sued the Canadian government. He, through his lawyer, of course, demanded to get the information that was being held by the Canadian government. That the Canadian government had participated in extracting from him, and the and the Canadian government said, "No, you can't have that because it's uh, it's not ours. It's you know it, it, it it's um, it's part of what happened." In Guantanamo. In uh, right. That's right. So in fact, he did win that that case. And you may remember that he won a substantial uh, settlement with the Canadian government over the terrible, terrible treatment that he endured as a child um, while he was in custody in, in, in Guantanamo.
1: Incredible so, stuff, really. Um yeah. Danielle, we have just a moment or so left. What sure. about if you're a dual citizen, you get arrested in the country that you have your other citizenship? What like happens like in then? the Jalil
7: case? That's like in the Jalil mm. case. That that mm. unfortunately is you can ask Canada. One of the things that uh, when Canada can't act on your behalf is there are international advocacy groups. Um many petitions and letters to foreign governments have gone out um amnesty international has been working on his behalf mr Jalil's behalf and numbers of other people who are being held there's hope um sometimes publicity makes a big difference some some governments don't really like to be shamed and that's what an international advocacy group and constant uh, media attention can help to do so um You know, that's, I guess, where where we have to leave that. Danielle, this is so interesting. I I feel like we still need to do
2: a part three on this because there are all these different scenarios and cases where, you know, Mm -hmm. yeah, we're talking about um, very specific, uh, you know, exceptions to the rule, or are there even rules around this, like criminal records? What happens if you go and get arrested elsewhere and then come back into Canada? You know, it's just really fascinating. Um, Thank you for bringing the the topic, and we'll chat with you on a Monday.
7: Thank you. See you next Monday. (laughs) Okay. Thanks Danielle.
2: Danielle McLaughlin for Know Your Rights. Now usually this is a weekly Monday conversation with her near the end of the show.
1: Yeah we'll talk to her on Monday for sure again and uh, have her on weekly as we do. Let's step aside for a moment we'll close off our show tell you what's coming up tomorrow a couple of items we'll mention and a closing moment that has us thinking of our sick friend Bill Shackleton. folks, check out the podcast. While you're in there, please give us a rating and review. Thank you so much to those that have done that. It's always wonderful if you have time, of course, but most importantly, enjoy the show at your leisure. You can listen to the show in segment form. You can listen to the complete Kelly and Romya podcast and also the audio vanity card that we throw on the end. Uh, So subscribe using your favorite podcast platform. Now with Dave Brown, airs on AMI-tv. You can find them at 9 a.m. in the morning, Monday through Friday as well. Ramya, what's going on on their show tomorrow?
2: They've got lots going on. Kel's starting with a conversation with Alex Smythe. Alex Smythe is sharing uh, his interview with the filmmaker and subject of the NFB film Lay Down Your Heart. So looking forward to hearing more about that film and the creation of it. Marco Aflalo is telling us about IKEA's new trio of smart home sensors. Um, I'm curious about what makes them different from other things obviously and also when did ikea get involved in this number three we have michael McNeely joining us to talk about or review the holdovers starring paul Giamatti and so we'll find out how what he thinks of the film
1: seems logical ikea involved really just mm. like walmart involved in every single thing right <laughs> true um Amazon, involved in every, Anyway, I digress. Uh, folks, catch them 9 a.m. in the morning on AMI-tv, also available via podcast. Today, our closing moment, and I said earlier, it's kind of an ode to Bill Shackleton. We're always joking around with Billy about beer. Uh, Blue Moon. Um, this is a review about the uh, <laughs> new, starting today, bagel that's infused with Blue Moon. This it, it kind of feels in the dough of these bagels, um, and this is from Pop-Up in New York City, where this is kind of done, okay? Um, these are sold on the streets uh, in New York. They're in Pop-Ups, where these bagels are sold. And on the Everything Bagel, you've got everything on these. And and it's all around the dough, okay? Just to give you an idea of what they do and how notable. These bagels also have kind of a a top that's risen. So they're not cut in half. They're not the whole that we're used to when it comes to that. Anyway... In the adaptation f- uh, category uh, for Fidelity, um, down, hands down is their plain bagel. That's what people like. But they infuse it with a Valencia orange cream cheese. This combo tastes uncannily like a blue um, moon Belgium beer. Capturing the uh, multi-citrus flavor with impressive accuracy. But as an aside, the reviewers say, on texture alone, pop-up may make the uh, best bagels around in New York City by the estimation. Now, this, this again, bagel can get lost, the Blue Moon uh, taste, and that can be. So it's infused itself with Blue Moon Belgian beer. Um a wheat ale beer brewed, a wheat ale brewed. God, I, I can't even say it. This is meant to be red, folks. Forgive me. Uh, Valencia orange for the citrus moon, which, of course, uh, mm. and then, of course, you use the orange-infused cream cheese beer. Uh, the or, That kind of feels like the orange wedge garnish that you get. So that comes, you know, whenever you order a blue moon um, beer, you have that little uh, orange wedge. So this comes out today. Uh, in New York and in Connecticut, you can find these at their pop-ups. But for foodies outside of those states, starting at noon on the 28th, hey, that was yesterday, uh, you can also order this stuff online, get it shipped into Canada as well and across the United States. Uh, I think American price, $50 for a dozen. So it puts it at about $4 a bagel. Oh. Um, But when you talk about the quality, these pop-ups that I had never heard of, Ramya, um, obviously big New York and Connecticut area, but with this infused um, kind of taste of of Blue Moon, and you can go online and kind of get your little read of it. All I thought of is Bill Shackleman sitting there with his beer and a big old bagel smeared all over it. That's what it is. Smeared all over with the cream cheese, right?
2: Exactly. And it's never as we think in the sense of, like, you think it's going to be just... Tasting of beer or soaked mm-hmm. in beer or no. dipped, in beer. you know, it's not going to be like that. It's going to be good.
1: No, and it's in the dough, so you feel that. But you also can get it in the schmear that you'd put on it as well. And they say their style is dip the uh, the the bagel into it, cut it up, tear it apart, dip it in. Okay. So. Kind of uh, I'm I, I kind yeah. of good with that, right? I don't mind that. No one's going to stare. <laughs> it's what everybody does. Coming up on tomorrow's program, ladies and gentlemen, Fern Lullum is here. Could having a disability make us uh, any more likely to be defensive? Fern Lullum talks about the psychology behind this.
2: We're going to talk about upcoming seasonal events taking place in Dawson City, Yukon, this uh, winter with Kim Hovey.
1: Going to enjoy our program, folks? Well, we'll be back here. We'll give it a shot at 2 p.m. Eastern. Hope you will as well. We're waving at you. Have a good night.
0: Hello, I'm Sean Priest. Join me monthly for Sean of the Shed, where I introduce you to all the technology that can be so useful to us as blind or partially sighted people. Find Shaw of the Shed wherever you find all your podcasts.